the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There's never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Coming up, a discussion about drug cartels and a bank in London. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. So I'm looking online the other day and I'm looking for interesting stuff about drug cartels and I run across this book that's about to be released. And let me just read you a couple of quick critiques or comments on the book. Blackhurst's Tale would make an exciting novel, but alarmingly, this is a true story, carefully researched and told with gusto. Here's another one, full of extraordinary revelations, epic storytelling about a shocking scandal. Read this. And so I wanted to welcome the author of this book, Chris Blackhurst. The book is Too Big to Jail, Inside HSBC, the Mexican Drug Cartels, and the Greatest Banking Scandal of the Century. Chris, thanks for joining us. You're over there in London. We appreciate it. Uh, my, my pleasure. Um, what can I tell you? Um, should, I, should I tell you what the book's about? Well, what I want to find out first is what your motivation was, what 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 you discovered that made you want to embark on this book? Um, well, it was a story that I was aware of. Um, I mean, back in 2012, I was a journalist. Um, I was city editor of the Evening Standard, which is a paper in London, um, covering finance um, and the city of London, Wall Street and everything. And... Um, it was announced that HSBC, the the British bank, um, had been fined the largest amounts in U.S. history, um, $1.9 billion, for enabling the Sinaloa Drugs Cartel, that's the cartel run by, formerly run by El Chapo, yeah. um, to launder billions of dollars. And what was strange about this at the time, um, it was just one of those things, I think, the way the media work and journalism work is that the story comes along, people just go, oh, yeah, right, and they report it, um, and we move on to the next story. And that's really what happened here. And no one sort of thought, hang on, hang on a second. Um, this is a huge amount of money. I mean, 1.9 $1.9 billion, I'll say it again, um, yeah. enormous amount of money. Um, and there was no official inquiry, no inquiry in, in certainly in the UK. Um, and it turned out that the, uh, that the Americans, the Department of Justice, the DEA, CIA, and they were all involved, that they wanted to throw the book at HSBC. They wanted to bring, to bring prosecutions against the bank's most senior executives for allowing this to happen. And the British government intervened and persuaded the Americans that if you prosecute a bank uh, of the size of HSBC, you risk bringing down the entire Western banking system. And that's really what happened. And it's a, it's a shocking story, and same as in 2008, um, no senior banker in the US, UK, Europe, wherever, was jailed for causing the crisis that we all know about. In 2012, no senior banker at HSBC 
was jailed for helping Chapo launder, and we're talking uh, talking about billions of dollars here, launder billions of dollars. So it's a shocking story. It, it, it's amazing to me. And, and I don't think it, one of the reasons this captured my attention was we think of the Mexican drug cartels and we think of their interaction with the southern border of the United States. We don't think about other banks. And so, quite frankly, in 2012, I was not aware of this story. I was certainly aware of El Chapo and the, and the drug cartel. So how did HSBC get involved in this in this scandal? Um, well, what, what actually happened was that um, HSBC is a very big international bank, um, uh, one of the very biggest in the world, and they took a decision in about 2002, 2003, that they were actually going to become the biggest bank in the world. And their target was Bank of America and Citigroup, and to do that, they bought other banks around the world. And one of them was a very small bank in Mexico called Bital, which is in the north of Mexico. It's the fifth biggest bank in Mexico. And the problem with Bital is it just did not have any controls. Um, it didn't really believe in, in compliance. HSBC was warned about this by the Mexicans, by even internally they were told that the high-ups were told, whoa, watch out, we're getting into hot water here. And, of course, the, the attitude was, yeah, but we're HSBC. We will bring our practice methods and procedures to bear. We'll sort it out. And that, I'm afraid, is not what happened at all. In fact, what did happen was that Chapo realised that he'd now got this massive international bank on his doorstep in northern Mexico and across Mexico. And HSBC was connected to the entire world. Um, and so suddenly he had this massive international finance network at his disposal and he took full advantage. So he really had control over this smaller bank. It's curious to me, and, and you you referenced it, that HSBC would buy the fifth largest bank in Mexico. It doesn't seem to me that Mexico is a terribly uh, hot banking country. And so, you know, that you would think that they might go after something a little larger with that um, had a little more stability. Why not? Yeah, that's a very good point. The reason they bought, ended up buying the fifth was that the, the first four had already gone. And there'd been this rush into Latin America um, by the American banks, by other banks in Europe. Um, and they'd all gone, piled into, they thought that Mexico, Brazil, Argentina were the next big things. And um, by the time HSBC made its move, the only one left that they could buy was this small bank, Bital. Um, and what 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 really happened here was that um, the, the, the drug cartel, everyone knows that the, the drug cartel is... Um, sort of notorious for its horrible um, barbaric methods, the way it mm -hmm. butchers people, just kills people without a second thought, um, and supplies drugs. Um, the Sinaloa cartel was actually the biggest, um, named by the the DEA in, in the States as the number one, um, the number one supplier of narcotics right across the United States. There was not a major city in the United States that the Sinaloa wasn't selling drugs into, and not just the cities, I mean, the towns as well. Um, and the problem for Chapo um, was that, contrary to what we all think, you, you know, we see it on films where people walk into American banks with bags full of cash, um, I think it's Goodfellas where they actually do that. Um, in reality, that can't happen. Um, there are cameras everywhere, and you cannot walk into a into a bank in the United States with a hold all full of cash and expect not to have to answer questions. So Chapo had got all this drug money. I mean, and we're talking dollar bills. I mean, we're talking street sales of drugs 
to people who buy drugs. They pay in cash. They pay in dollars and dollar bills. And he got all these piles and piles. I mean, we're talking tons of dollars um, in weight. And um, he couldn't get rid of them. Um, he couldn't do anything with them. So he smuggled them back to Mexico down the same lines and routes that he was using to bring the drugs in. Um, and then his people were taking them into branches of HSBC. Um, and I'll, you know, I'll give you an example. In one visit, and imagine you're in the line. You're in the line in your local bank, and the guy in front, um, you know, he keeps you waiting. Why does he keep you waiting? Well, in this one instance, he was depositing $933,000 in cash. Um, oh, now, imagine how long that took. And he had, he had f f uh, 15 bundles of $50,000 plus, would you believe, 33000 spare. Uh, so you imagine counting it all out and handing it all over. Um, and then Chapo got even better at this because they realized that they could speed the whole thing up if they actually had boxes made that exactly fitted the teller's windows um, <laughs> so they could just deposit them and, and take them. And, and of course, the, the tellers, the poor people working for HSBC at that very junior level in, in northern Mexico and other places, they were a lot of them were petrified. Um, I mean, the, the, the cartel would turn up um, and they'd flash a picture of somebody's children, the teller's w husband or wife oh. or partner or their children, and they just show them, you know, we know who you are, we know where your kids are, and that was enough. And you can't blame them for that. They were terrified. Um, and, and that's really what happened. Uh, it's, uh, it's an unbelievable picture you've just painted. And we're going <laughs> to dig deeper into this with Chris Blackhurst. The, the, the book is called Too Big to Jail Inside HSBC, the Mexican Drug Cartel, and the Greatest Banking Scandal of the Century. More with, more with Chris right after this. So you go to the grocery store and you're looking for grass-fed beef and you see it there. But did you know this? 85% of the grass-fed beef in stores and online is imported from overseas. So you could be paying a premium price for low-quality foreign meat. I've got two words to solve this problem. Good ranchers. They guarantee 100% American meat delivered to your door for a great price. Good ranchers help solve the problem and lets you support American farms and ranches with every single purchase. You can shop Good Ranchers for ribeyes, T-bones, chicken, salmon, and more. Their beef earns the highest USDA grade possible. I've got a freezer full, and it's going on the grill just about every night. Good Ranchers sells 100% American meat and ships it straight to your door. And right now, they're giving away two free 18-ounce prime center-cut ribeyes to every person that uses my code Tafoya, T-A-F-O-Y-A. You can make a one-time purchase or subscribe and save 25 bucks on every box. Plus, like I said, those two free 18-ounce boneless ribeyes, restaurant quality, most people would charge you 50 or 60 bucks a piece. But Good Ranchers is giving them to you. So go to GoodRanchers.com. They deliver the best of American farms and ranches to your door. And this offer of the two free 18-ounce uh, boneless ribeyes, that's um, first come, first serve. So you want to hurry up. Make sure you take time today. Right now, go to goodranchers.com slash Tafoya or use my code Tafoya at checkout, T-A-F-O-Y-A. Start the summer off right with Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 
800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Chris, this is an amazing story. Um, So, all right. So you've got the drug cartels getting all this street money. They're depositing it into these HSBC uh, banks, you know, the the branches around around northern Mexico. And so you're telling me that the high ups in HSBC, they were all aware of this, right? I mean, they had to be, right? Um. Well, whether they were aware or not, they should have been aware. And because um, the amounts of money, the volumes were so high. Yeah, um, you're seeing like $933,000 worth of cash come into a branch point. on a random Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And, uh, and uh, uh, but what they also saw was... Um, a, a surge in business and they thought that this was well they deluded themselves that this was you know the, this apparently booming mexican economy and lots <laughs> of small businesses were depositing cash the small businesses were fronts for the cartel and so they even went work they even took a, another step which was um when he when the money was deposited, it went into Mexican bank accounts. The problem for Chapo was that Mexico, by law, Mexican bank accounts have to be held in pesos, and the peso, as we know, is not it's not the most reliable currency. And it's right. volatile, and it's not universally accepted. So Chapo, he got the money in dollars in the states. He took it back to Mexico, put it into a bank where it was held in a peso bank account. What he wanted was for it to be held in dollar accounts. And so HSBC said to these front organizations for the Sinaloa, hey, why don't you use our Cayman Island service? Because Cayman Islands, they had a an operation in the Cayman Islands um, where you could switch from peso bank accounts to dollars. Now, in in no time at all, 60,000, I'll say it again, 60,000 new accounts were opened in the Cayman Islands in HSBC, holding $1.2 billion. Now, <laughs> you know, you'd think that the, the high ups and the bosses would think, hang on a minute, you know, where is, who has got $1.2 billion in, in, we're talking rural Mexico. We're not right, talking, right. This isn't East Coast, West Coast, you know, L.A., New York. Or anything. This is rural Mexico, $1.2 billion going into the Cayman Islands. But, of course, they were very busy, and they were busy <laughs> growing the bank. They they bought a, a huge company in, the, in America that you, uh, you probably heard of called Household. Household is the big, biggest moneylender in America, in the United States, they paid $14 billion for that. Um, and they were buying all sorts of businesses all around the world and because they wanted to be the biggest bank. And it's a sort of, it's a bit like a heart of darkness, almost apocalypse now type story where you've got this one operation that's really out of control, but nobody at the center is getting on top of it at all. And that's what happened. Uh, it, it's, it's almost embarrassing. I mean, really it's, 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 it's a little bit comedic. And it, it, some of the reviews of your books even said there's a, there's a dose of humor in here, but it's, it's a really well unbelievable uh, tale. Yeah. My, my humor is more reserved for <laughs> the, uh, the, if I can use the word stupidity, but the stupidity <laughs> and hubris of, bankers who um you know there's something about banks that they specialize in this sort of stuff so i mean one of the things they did while they should have been 
checking on what was actually happening, you know, in their branches where guys were turning up with $900,000 in cash. Um, what they were actually doing was building a new tower block in Mexico City that was the the best, most fantastic tower block in Latin America, was built by America's f um, leading firm of commercial architects, um, you, you know, cost hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, that's what they were focused on, and that's what bankers are like. They, they, you know, they focus on on status and ego and stuff that you know that those sort of things, and they weren't getting down and seeing what was actually happening in their branches. Hubris is a good word to go along with stupidity uh, in this case. <laughs> Chris Blackhurst, the author, is our guest, Too Big to Jail. Uh, more with him, because now what I want to know, Chris, is <laughs> when did it finally all hit the fan? And we'll talk with Chris about that right after this. You know, folks, since November of last year, the stock market has plummeted. But gold has been on the rise. So we're looking at gas prices that are ridiculously insane. The stock market is all over the place. Inflation is worse than it was last year. And we have this war going on between Russia and Ukraine that we can only hope doesn't spread any further. The markets, if you haven't noticed, the markets don't like instability. But the good news is you have options. Gold prices are rising as investors turn to gold for protection. Gold provides a hedge against inflation and protects against a weakening dollar. Legacy Precious Metals is the only company I trust for investing in gold and silver. You need an investment that's going to protect your wealth and protect your retirement. So let me recommend calling Legacy Precious Metals today. You want to be proactive while there's still time. I hate to remind you of 2008, but remember back then, those who invested in gold saw huge gains while others, they lost their retirements. So Legacy Precious Metals can advise you on all of your options for investing in gold and silver. You've got nothing to lose by just giving them a call and asking questions. And you can speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals. Here's the number, 866-528-1903, 866-528-1903, or download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. This is a fascinating book, Too Big to Jail, Inside HSBC, the Mexican Drug Cartels, and the Greatest Banking Scandal of the Century. Uh, and our guest is, is author Chris Blackhurst, and I'm so glad he's joining us from London, in case you're just joining us. Um, all right, so we've got El Chapo and the Sinaloa Drug Cartel taking a bunch of money from Americans, all these dollar bills and 50, you know, 20s and cash, taking them to these branches of HSBC that have popped up along the border, the northern border of Mexico. And then they go and because they don't want the money stored in pesos, they take it to the Cayman Islands through these HSBC branches and it converts it back to dollars. This is money laundering, classic. Um, and so no one really is paying attention over there at the big bank. These guys are too busy building a big, big old tower down in Mexico when did the you-know-what finally hit the fan and this got discovered? Um, the, Mexicans, uh, the Mexican authorities were very quickly onto this. They, they could see what was happening. They actually went to the branches and observed for themselves. They were telling the... And meanwhile, the uh, Drug Enforcement Agency in the United States... They were becoming aware of massive movements of dollars. Um, you know, as I say, we're talking billions of dollars. Um, but three things came together. Um, one was a cop, um, a, a, an NYPD cop, um, who's straight from Central Casting in Queens in New York. Um, and he was a, a drug buster. And then he busted a guy. He's called Frankie Di, Frankie Di Gregorio. Frankie of course D. he is. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, and he talks, talks. I can't do a New York accent. I'm a Brit, but, but he, he talks just like that. And, um, yeah. He's a great guy. And um, he did a, a big drugs bust of a dealer um, 
in Queens. And when they got really stuck into what the guy was doing and where the money was coming from and where his money was going, um, they realized that it was going through HSBC. So that's number one. Number two was a, a district attorney in West Virginia. I mean, you know, you couldn't make the contrast greater with yeah. New York, with NYC, yeah. and he was in West Virginia. And um, he busted a guy for a Medicare fraud. And when he started looking into it, he was shocked, as were his colleagues, as to the, the very sort of crude nature of what this guy was doing, and particularly how he was laundering the money. And that was HSBC. And that made him think. He was called Bill Eilenfeld. He's now a, um, a state senator in Virginia. And um, he, um, it made them think, well, hang on a minute, you, you know, if, if HS, if this guy is doing this, it is so crude what this guy is doing, and no warnings. HSBC aren't stopping him. What else is going on at HSBC? And he set up a squad, um, a, a, a little unit to look into HSBC. So that's the second thing. The third, and this thing, is all in West Virginia, right? This yeah, part's in West Virginia. In, okay, that, but West Virginia had a massive, and still does have, sadly, with uh, as does lost the United States with narcotics um, coming over from Mexico, um, being run by the cartels, marijuana, heroin, but also crystal meth, and now um, opiates. And um, they, um, uh, the third thing that happened was um, a guy called Everett Stern. Um, Everett Stern had applied to join the CIA and he he got turned down. Um, he didn't get the job. And um, he answered an ad for uh, to join the anti-money laundering department of a major bank, and it was HSBC. And when he got there um, to their uh, offices in Delaware, he was so shocked and horrified by what he was seeing and the lack of controls that he actually went back to the people who interviewed him for the CIA and said, I've got something to tell you. And they said, tell us more. And he became a whistleblower. So you had New York cop, West Virginia attorney, and the whistleblower, and all three. And and what happened was there was a meeting in Washington where all three bits were brought together in one one lump as it were um and the the cia the dea department of justice they were all involved and they said we're seeing we've seen enough enough is enough um we are going to really go after hsbc and that's what happened the department of justice went after hsbc um and um they wanted to throw the book at HSBC and bring convictions. And, and when it really, um, to come back to your what you asked, when did this happen? When did the, the bad stuff hit the fan? Um, well, it was in sort of mid-2012. Um, and it had been going on for years. And at the end of 2012, that's when HSBC was fined. But there is a post, a subtext, post, text to this which is okay. that they they entered a um a deferred prosecution agreement now, this is not available to you or i where we are ordinary people i'm assuming you're we're ordinary people ordinary we're people definitely ordinary that. people yes we're definitely ordinary people and um but if you're a major corporation you and you've got tons of money you say to the authorities um, okay, can we talk about this? And you effectively buy your way out of jail. Um, and they entered a to the annoyance of a lot of people in, in the Department of Justice um, and under pressure from the British government, they entered a 
deferred a DPA, a deferred prosecution agreement, where they accepted the fine, they admitted what they'd done, and they also agreed to five or six years of rehab um, where they <laughs> would reform where they would reform their ways. Yeah. Well, the the interesting point about that is that that HSBC actually came out of the DPA in um, 2019 and only in December last year um, to 2021 were they fined again for lax money laundering control. So, so much for the reforming their ways. But the point about a DPA is that if you sell drugs um, in the UK or in the United States, particularly in the United States, and, you know, as you know, if you three three strikes and you're out, you yeah. get caught three times, you're going to go to jail for a very, very long time, if not life. Um, but if you're the bank that is helping the cartel laundering their money, um, you get off with the fine. And the, the bit I've not said about that fine was, yes, it was huge, $1.9 billion, but $1.9 billion was only five weeks profit of HSBC. Oh, my God. So that's all they got, five weeks. Five weeks loss of earnings, that was it. And um, it, some people consider that to be, you know, I'm, I'm the author of the book. I don't really have a, well, of course I have a view, but others speak in the book and say it was totally outrageous. Yeah. To say the least, I mean, this is—it's <laughs> astonishing when you put it in that in that context, and when you—it's it, a drop in the bucket for them, really. Um, I guess I'd—in I, I, all your research and everything you've discovered, you know, these cartels, as you've detailed, are really scary and very powerful in Mexico, and clearly uh, having a lot of influence all over the world, and it sickens me. And I think, uh, and this fentanyl problem, the opiates you discussed were, are, are causing massive problems, particularly here. I mean, everywhere, but you know, definitely here in America. And it, it seems to me, um, that these cartels aren't going anywhere anytime soon, regardless of where El Chapo is and what gets disrupted. How, what is your impression of that? Is this, is this evil entity for lack of a better term always going to to be part of our world um i think not but in order to get to not um in order to bust them break them down, break them um the authorities we have to change our ways um now you could argue at its most extreme we have to legalize drugs um and that would obviously take away a lot of their power immediately but i don't think that's going to happen um but going back to the ronald reagan era he declared famously declared war on drugs yeah and war on drugs meant throwing um tons and tons of um military equipment including even soldiers um and troops on the ground and it was a war, and they fought a war with the cartels. Um, that's one way, but it hasn't got us anywhere. Um, the other way, which is in the book, um, what we don't do is follow the money. Um, we don't cut them off at source. We don't, um, you know, this money's going somewhere. I mean, right now, the Sinaloa still exists, and it's still laundering money, just not through HSBC. Um, and yeah, that's all there to be got. And if we could cut off their money, then they really are starved. They can't buy guns. They can't buy bullets. They can't buy more drugs. They can't pay the people who commit, you know, the Sicarios who commit the, the most appalling, brutal murders and massacres. And, you know, we cut them off. And the phrase, follow the money, We've never, ever followed. We've never done it, really. I mean, it's it's one of the key f- episodes, I think, in The Wire, um, where they say, follow the money, and follow the money, follow the money. But we never do follow the money. What happens is 
that in the US, and it happens in the UK as well and in other countries, um, from time to time the, the, they set up an operation to go after a certain drug lord. Uh, they throw everything at it. Then, you know, they make arrests and then they parade all the weapons they've seized, all the drugs right. they've seized. There's a press conference and somebody from the, uh, well, in the States, the DEA or Department of Justice, they will face the cameras and say, today we've broken the back of the cartel. Um, and guess what? As they're saying, today we've broken the back of the cartel, the drugs are still coming through and they're still being mm -hmm. sold. All that mm -hmm. happens is the people that have been arrested are replaced by others. And that's, right. been, the, that's been the pattern now for really 40 years. Um, and it, it, it has not got us anywhere at all. The cartels are just as strong today as they were before. They've still got access to weapons. They've still got access to the drugs. Um, I mean, the, and, and, and bear in mind, and, and I hope this comes across in the book, because, of course, I, I treat the cartel as a, a murderous, horrible organization. It is. There's no question. Right. No but question. It is also, um, and this, you know, you have to sort of step back a bit. It, it's also a very sophisticated business. Um, it's buying aircraft. It's buying trucks. It's employing people. Um, it's um, sourcing products in the same way as Walmart sourced products. Um, you, you know, that's how the cartel is run. And in, in the book, yeah. I detail um, some of the the accounts, um, the actual sort of books that Chapo kept of his dealings. And, you know, it's really mundane stuff, but it's like he was running, he was running a major business. It was a, right. a logistics supply business, albeit one that was supplying narcotics and albeit one that, shall we say, had some pretty brutal motivation techniques. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And yeah. marketing yeah. techniques, but it, we mustn't delude ourselves. These are very, very sophisticated people, yeah. and they know how yeah. to play the international banking system. And that's really where we should be going. I mean, picking up a dealer on the street, um, busting them, and then you know, someone else said, then eventually they go to jail. And uh, but the drugs still carry on, and the money yeah. still flows through. You know, I'm curious before I let you go to understand, because we certainly know what we're dealing with here in the United States in terms of all of these these drugs and, and how bad it is getting. It, it seems to be getting worse than it has been. What is it like in the UK? What is What are overdoses like? What How bad is the drug problem in the UK? Or, or is it even comparable to the United States? Um, I don't think it's as bad. But that's not to say it's not bad. I'm just saying it's not as bad. It is bad. Um, we have a phrase here, which I don't know if uh, if it exists in the States, so forgive me. Um, but um, we've woken up to what what's being called county lines. Um, and county lines is um, a major city. So London, Birmingham, Manchester are major cities, Liverpool. Um, the gangs there are sending people out literally into the small towns and villages um, along county lines. I mean, they're, they're, okay. they're using the old the old routes. I mean, <laughs> go back in the mists of time. Um, you know, frankly, the old routes that the stagecoaches used, which, of course, are now mm. railway lines and things, but, but they're supplying drugs everywhere. Um, and drugs are a huge problem. Our opiates, um, maybe not quite as bad as the States, but I, I saw some figures recently that were pretty shocking for the, you know, we, we are, we are saying, seeing the same thing. I mean, maybe not on quite as big a scale, but it's a source of worry. And the, the drug, the, the gang violence, um, yeah. particularly in, in our major cities in London, 
and Birmingham, Manchester, we don't have the same prevalence of guns as as you have. But saying that, the gangs seem very, they seem perfectly capable of getting guns. And every day there are shootings, stabbings. London, um, London's got very high um, gang-on-gang violence um, where they're fighting for patches of territory across the capital and the um uh, i can the murder rates are very high i mean i can guarantee that when i stop talking to you if i turn on my local news there will be another stabbing there's there always is and sadly they're of um they're of teenagers who are caught up in this in this turf war and it's been going on now for a few years and the the police seem powerless to resist. Oh, that's sad to hear. Uh, I hope that uh, we all start to t- pay attention and follow the money and, and like you said, uh, get to the root of this. I, you know, there will probably always be drugs, but um, the extent to which we are dealing with these, as you said, these there's no question these cartels are sophisticated and smart and, and run like massive business entities. There's just so much money there. How can they not? So uh, I encourage everyone. I, I, I'm, I can't wait to read the book. Uh, you have, you paint just an amazing picture. Chris Blackhurst, too big to jail inside HSBC, the Mexican drug cartels and the greatest banking scandal of the century. Um, and, and Chris, when does this, this book come out? Um, it's just come out in the UK. I think it's coming okay. out available in the States very shortly. I know um, you can pre-order it at Amazon that I know you can pre-order <laughs> it. So go do it because this is fascinating stuff. And, yeah, uh, Amazon, Amazon, as we say, Amazon and all good bookshops. There we go. Yes. We don't want to forget the, we don't want to forget the shops. No, we no, do no, not want to forget, forget the shops. No, Absolutely. <laughs> I really appreciate you joining us from over there across the pond. And um, forgive my my attempt at a British accent. Uh, I I try. Uh, Chris, so nice to... Forgive my trying to be American. I loved your New York attempt. That was was charming. That was charming. Uh, I, I appreciate your time. I can't wait to read the book. And I'm so grateful you joined us. He is Chris Blackhurst. Again, Too Big to Jail. Check it out. Um, it is out there. It, it, you can pre-order it and check out your bookshops. Help them out too. Chris, thank you again. This has been Sideline Sanity. I'm Michelle Tafoya. Thanks for listening. So with the economy the way that it is, which is not great, makes you think about what is smart investing these days? I was given a gift of gold by my mom. My husband and I were gifted some gold for a wedding anniversary and we're really grateful. And I am really grateful to Charles Thorngren who grow, who joins us now from Legacy Precious Metals, a sponsor of Sideline Sanity. Charles, we appreciate you so much. You know, we're hearing more and more about how inflation ain't transitory after all. And it may be here a while. And you know, food shelves are getting, the lines are longer. It, this is really, it's not the America I grew up in and it's, it's worrying a lot of people. So if, if someone's thinking about investing, what do you tell them? You, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting conversation. Investing nowadays, uh, we, we want to go back to kind of the basics really where diversification has always been key. And, and we hear it, you know, we've been told it ad nauseum. You know, diversify, diversify, and then everyone puts all their money in the stock market and wonders <laughs> why when there's a pullback, they're in trouble. Diversity means asset class diversity as well. You know, some real estate, um, some precious metals. These are the things that gives your portfolio the legs to stand through all the storms that will happen financially. And, and, and we know that they happen. They happen continuously and they recur. So that's what diversity is truly meant to do. And that's why people used to talk about diversity. So when people see the value of the dollar declining or they see inflation, um, how do you get the average person like me to understand that gold can still be appreciating or that gold can protect right. against that stuff? How, how does that make sense for people? 
You know, the, the easiest way to look at it is if you look at gold, right? Gold is the anti-dollar investment. As a dollar gets weaker, gold gets stronger. And we know that because it takes more dollars to buy that gold, just like cars cost more now, right? Um, anytime you have inflation, the item that you're buying costs more. The difference with gold is that it doesn't devalue. It's considered a alternative currency. Basically, when you say that I don't have complete faith that this financial system is not built on a house of cards or I don't have complete faith in in what the current Fed is doing to fight inflation, this is where gold comes in. And this is where we see people increase their amount of gold because a diversified portfolio should have some gold regardless. We need to remember that the United States Fed says 2 to 3% inflation is ideal. So that means for the average saver, if your retirement account's invested and it's based in dollars, that you're going to lose 60% of your purchasing power to inflation by the time you're ready to retire. And that's under the best of terms. And now we can talk about the, oh, it's transitory. Oh, no, maybe I was wrong. Um, Maybe we need to do half basis points every month for the rest of the year and then see where it's at next year. These are scary things that Mm -hmm. the experts are trying to tell us that, Maybe we didn't have it right. And this is why people have gold and this is why it offers that protection. It's interesting. Uh, I, you know, I think people think, well, if I'm investing in gold, do I actually possess the gold in, you know, I have it in a safe. Do I have, how do you get gold? How do you keep gold? Right. And, And physical gold. I mean, this is what we do. So yes, if you're buying it outside of an IRA, we can deliver it right to your home. And you can put it in your own safe. You can put it in your safety deposit box. If you don't feel comfortable with that, we do offer storage for our clients as well. Okay. So there's lots of options. Uh, In the IRA, it's stored for you, just like your IRA account. You don't have access to those stocks. So if you were to take funds from your IRA, you could make that investment and you'd have the retirement account invested in the precious metals as well. And it would be handled just like every other IRA account. That's really interesting. And, and now I'm going to ask you a tough one, and I hope you'll forgive me, but I'm just going to be candid uh, and, and a- ask what I think might be coming to people's minds. Sure. If the experts in Washington are making all these mistakes or they were wrong about inflation, then they're going to look at you and say, hey, Charles, why should I trust what you're telling me and why legacy precious metals is the place to go. I'm, I'm asking this in an honest sure. way because I because I I know you want to be transparent about this stuff. So how would you Absolutely. answer that? You know, it really is. Is I'm not a politician. Um, <laughs> I have no desire to be a politician. I like what I do. Right. I help people prepare their finances. I help people with their retirements. I help people set up their funds so that their children and their grandchildren have something that's there. This is what I do. This is what I do for uh, enjoyment. Um, uh, very big in economics. Um, um, but metals is that thing that it's an alternative asset, right? When I was a stockbroker 30 plus years ago, it was unique kind of then. And then everybody was a stockbroker and everyone had stocks and there was nothing different. There was no protection. Everyone said the same thing. To me, it didn't make sense for everyone to be doing the same thing. If we all do the same thing, then we all fall together. And we know that if you follow the government's direction, you're buying into whatever they want to sell you. Now, it used to be politics was a little different. We have gotten into a place where we can't say that anymore. It's not always for the people. It's We see that. We see that what they're doing with the economy itself. We know that we have to have something else. And this is why we do what we do here at Legacy. And my history is is why people should, you know, give us a call, chat with us and see if it makes sense for them. Last thing I want to ask you about is I remember 2008 and I know a lot of people mm-hmm. do. And, it, 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 you know, that was a crash and there have been other crashes. But why is it that when the economy crashes, gold has historically risen. I know you said it's sort of the anti-dollar. Right. Is there a way in layman's terms to explain why that happens? It's it's the safe place. 
right? When, when, when there's so much risk out there and people are losing so much money, they just want safety. Mm-hmm. So l- let's look at inflation. We know right now we're running close to eight and a half percent. We can dig some real numbers out there and we can debate that, but we'll just take that number as it is. We'll use 8%. That means everything cost you 8% more this year than it did last year. And we know it's going to go higher because the Fed's already promised us a lot more interest rate raises, right, to fight inflation. But we know it's not enough. When they say things like, we'll try to raise half a basis point five times over the next six months and see where the economy's at next year, that in itself lets you know you need to find something that doesn't put your livelihood in their hands. They're, they're juggling an economy and the stock market. And that was never meant to be that way. So you have to protect yourself. And this is where gold comes in because it is the anti-dollar. The weaker the dollar gets, the stronger gold gets. And, you know, 2008, I remember after it happened, um, the people that would call and try to salvage their retirement accounts. And it was a very devastating time. People would call and they would be crying that they can't retire now. They have to continue to work. They're 67 years old and their plans are gone because they lost half their value. And that's devastating, you know, but this is where those who were involved in gold, they saw gold almost double in price. It offset the losses. It offset the losses. So again, Charles is not suggesting that you put all your money in one place, that not even gold, but diversify your assets and precious metals is a good way to go. And legacy precious metals is the only company I trust when I talk about and do my investing in gold and silver, and you can contact them as well. LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. I don't know why you would waste another minute thinking about it. Just talk to them. I mean, just ask them. See what your situation can can manage and handle and might require and just get some answers. Uh, Charles, I appreciate your time. Thanks for this. It's been very educational. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.